Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. Well, good morning, church. You're awake now. The first service. My name is Melissa Bortnick, and hey, I'm so glad that Pastor Rick invited me to come share with you this morning. Uh, Like Abby said, he's away at annual conference, and uh, we'll both be away at another annual conference next week, but I get to be here today. Uh, On most Sunday mornings, uh, I am uh, either at another church here in our United Methodist Conference preaching, or I'm sitting right out here with you, uh, sitting next to my kids. They just love to be pointed out in service. Um, one of the things that uh, has really grown me here is that the community, this church, is so special to me, and so uh, it, it feels really loving as I just pointed out our word about love, to be standing up here facing this direction today. It's good. My family, uh, my kids and I, we've been members here at Faith Church for about 12 years, and I had the blessing, the privilege of being able to serve here on staff in our children's youth and family ministry for many years. And while I was serving here at this church, I felt this huge call to do even more. And so I attended seminary, and I want to thank all of you for supporting me in my efforts to do that, for supporting my children. Uh, If you haven't heard me say it officially, thank you for the cards, the calls, the casseroles you brought to my kids while I was away at classes at night. I couldn't have done it by myself. Uh, And you are a huge part part of that, uh, part of my life. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. This weekend actually marks one year since I graduated with my Master of Divinity from SPU last year. Yay! This is me clapping for you, for you, for you. And during this past year, I have been appointed by our bishop to full-time ministry, not in a church setting like Pastor Rick or Pastor Elizabeth or Pastor John, who was here before, but my ministry setting is to an appointment called Extension Ministry at Harborview Medical Center downtown. And there I am blessed to serve as a chaplain. Uh, And so I wear a name tag that says I work in the spiritual care department. And it doesn't say religious care department. It says spiritual care because we serve all people who are at the hospital. No matter their faith tradition, no matter where they're at, everybody has a spirit that needs to be cared for, especially in some of their darkest, darkest times. Uh, I say yes to this call to serve there every day. Because, because God chooses to say yes to me every day. It is a hard, hard place to work, but I don't feel like I'm doing it alone. I feel like I'm lifted, I'm filled, and I'm brought along to do this work. And I'm taking this time to share a little bit about me here right up front at the beginning of this sermon, because the rest of my message today is going to make so much more sense if you know a little bit about me and you know a little bit of what I'm doing and where I've been coming from. It wasn't long ago that on Sunday mornings, I was teaching Sunday school lessons for our uh, nursery through fifth grade, those are we call our elementary age, and then also our sixth through twelfth graders, kind of upstairs in this area of the church. And so while the sermons were happening down here, I got to be with all of our kids and all of our other Sunday school leaders. 
And often as I was planning what was going to be happening with the kids that day, we would work with one scripture, for example, Luke, and then we would present it in different ways. Presenting it differently to our younger kids than our older kids because they could kind of handle, it was more age appropriate to see what it was that they were talking about that day. So, for example, while exploring today's scripture from Luke with our high school kids, we would also talk about the history of the tension between the cultures and the specific roles of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. And we would talk about why Samaritans were recognized as these religious heretics at the time. And this would inevitably lead us into some really deep, heartfelt, passionate conversation with teenagers about big concepts like racism and nationalism and anti-Semitism and all of these things that we need to learn how to react to as Christians in the world today. And while exploring the scripture, again with older students, we would learn about how Luke introduces this parable to a Jewish audience and how truly shocking it would have been for anyone in Luke's time to think of this despised Samaritan as being helpful. And then we would talk and we would wonder about how the same story of a legal expert is also represented in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, but how it's only here in Luke that we hear the story of the journey and the road and the attack and the rescuer that we know of as the Good Samaritan. It's so interesting to talk to older kids about how different stories are represented in different Gospels in different ways. But with our younger grades, often I find it much more helpful and truly more fun and interesting to focus Sunday School lessons on the more tangible, the more relatable parts of the story. And Abby and Brianna, they're so good at doing this right now. This is what they're doing with our younger kids. It's certainly not that our younger kids can't understand these complex ideas. It's that younger kids learn and they remember concepts in ways that are very touchy and feely, much more sensory. And so it's helpful to invite them to interact with Bible stories with play and color and texture and action. And I remember a day when I was out here, just uh, out that door in the Wesley building, I was gathering with some kindergarten and first grade students. There were about four or five kids sitting with me on those little colorful carpet squares on the floor. And we had a huge pile of band-aids. We had some gauze wrap, some ankle tape, and a bottle of water. We're sitting there on the floor. And the students were acting out the story of the Good Samaritan. And as I was reading it with them, the kids were having just the best time. They were role-playing and taking the part. Somebody got to be Jesus, somebody got to be the lawyer, somebody was the Levite. You kind of get the picture of what this looks like. The bad guys got to stick out their tongues. You know, you don't get to do that very often in church. The hurt guy got to lay on the floor and go, oh. And the other kids, they got to walk past and very dramatically really avoid the, the bleeding guy that was, was on the floor. It was great fun. The one kid got to be the Samaritan, got to be the hero, feel really good about himself for that day. And before the kids went home, they did, of course, take all of the Band-Aids and they put about 20 each all over their faces. 
on her arm, exactly like I thought and intended that they would. It would be memorable. But between the part of acting out the lesson and the band-aids all over their face part, I asked them this question. I said, what do you think, kids? Which one of these people was a neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? And in my mind, I was thinking, I already knew the answer, the Samaritan, duh. But one little voice sitting on the floor slowly raised a hand and said, the innkeeper. I can remember being there and I can feel it right now. I almost started crying in that moment. This kid, this child was so right, but I'd never thought of the parable like this before. It wasn't the first time that I'd learned something new from a child, and luckily it's not going to be the last, but I'm helped to see a new perspective from a very young person. But why hadn't I thought of this story in this way before? Why had I always kind of ignored the innkeeper? Well, maybe because that's the way I learned the story when I was in first grade, and that's the way my Sunday school learned it when they were in first grade, and it gets passed on this way, until this is the understanding of the scripture that the church tells. This is what gets stuck in our minds. Now, to be fair, Jesus does ask the specific question, which of these three is the neighbor? It's a leading question. Intentionally, Jesus points us to the message to say, it's the Samaritan. But I had asked the Sunday school kids using slightly different words. I said, which of these people? And it opened up the question just a little bit. Now, Jesus obviously thinks that the innkeeper is important. He could have just told this parable and stopped with the Samaritan saving the day. But Jesus chooses to include this other character. This other character who interacts with the supposed hero of the story. Jesus tells the parable in a way that leaves room for our imaginations to fill in the blanks. We see what happens next in the relationship between the hurting man and his helpers. Jesus lets us know that the Samaritan may have been the guy who first came along and decided to help him. But that he didn't accomplish his goal all by himself. There was more to the story, and I suggest that there always is. The fact that Jesus tells the story this way doesn't mean nothing. It means something. We hear that a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and early hearers of this story would have known that this was a rather treacherous route. And this wasn't really going north to south, but this was going down in elevation from the higher up mountains eastward to nearly 900 feet below sea level. And a group of us right here from Faith Church, we traveled together to this area just a few years ago. And we've seen just how remote and difficult to navigate this area would have been. It's easy to imagine that finding a place to eat or to get um, rest or medical care, it would have been very difficult if you were traveling on this route. And we don't know from this parable what these dudes were really up to. 
We don't know uh, how long they were going to be there. We don't know what business they were conducting. In this parable, Jesus tells how the hurt man is brought to an inn. But friends, this is no five-star hotel. In the Gospel of Luke, we read about inns a few times. Now, if you go back to watch Pastor Rick's Christmas Eve sermon, if you haven't watched it, you can go online and watch any of the Faith Church sermons. You'll hear how Pastor Rick talked about how Mary and Joseph welcomed Jesus amidst the animals because there was no room at the inn. And later in life, Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his friends in a very special upper room. But both of these places that are inns in the Bible are described in Greek as a katalima, or a guest room. And this would have been a room that was found uh, near somebody else's home, sort of in a village or near uh, other places where people were living, like a neighborhood. But the inn that is on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho that the Samaritan takes the hurt man to, this isn't one of those safe and kind of cozy, homey katalimas. This inn is a podoheon. I need to say it the right way. Pandoheon. Or in Greek, it's a place that receives all meaning all. The inn on this road was more like a motel on a distant highway where you can imagine truckers and motorcycle gangs stopping for the night. They were looking to settle some scores and rendezvous with some entertaining companions of ill repute. This was a place that was likely frequented by murderers and rapists and thieves, drug addicts, homeless, the intoxicated, and those who were broken and bleeding, those who were scooped up after being found down. And in the Bible, those who were involved with the keeping of inns, these were not unlike our Old Testament ladies that we've heard of, Rahab and Tamar. We have seen that these keepers of inns were known as having a bad reputation, they were possibly dishonest or violent or morally dubious with their sexual interactions. Surely, Jesus is not telling this story, trying to tell us that not only can a Samaritan be a good guy, but that an innkeeper can also be a good person. And I suggest that, yes, this is exactly what Jesus is telling us. In modern history, these pendohans, they have been studied, and we're finding that many of these inns along the side of ancient roads were indeed places that welcomed all. All languages, all races, all genders, all sorts of business propositions. And as much as this created a kind of wild and crazy environment, maybe even a little unsafe, these places were helpful in shifting and transforming the community purposes over the years. And depending on the needs along a certain road, some of these inns became a little more like places of trade and commerce. Some became places of language and music education. 
Some became even like cooking schools and gardening schools. Some shifted to become more like hostels, where everyone visiting worked together, where they welcomed strangers and they gave them trust and they worked in cooperation. Interestingly, modern historians have discovered that some of these hostile locations added on rooms. It even started to build upper levels where they could more safely care and protect their injured guests. And this started to look very much like what we call a modern day hospital or a hospice home. And so when I started to think of the inn in this parable, as being a little more like a hospital, I felt even more connected to this story. And it wasn't a very far mental leap for me to think of myself and the other people who were working at Harborview as being the innkeepers who were ready and waiting to receive all to our pandohean. One of the first things I noticed when I began working at Harborview was the constant noise in the influx of people that are always needing help. My attention was drawn to those fancy life flight helicopters and the pilots who wear those really cool looking flight suits <laughs> and the ambulance drivers with flashing lights and their singing sirens. They're designed so that they cannot be ignored. And the police cars and the fire trucks and the other emergency vehicles that pull up to the emergency doors and we call them heroes because they are bringing in the burned and the stabbed and the shot and the fallen. These folks are the first responders that might most easily be identified as the Good Samaritans in our community. Yet after the first application of that oil and wine, after the transport team has brought them there, the hurting person is going to need more help ongoing help from the innkeeper, from the nurse, and the social worker, and the chaplain. And I guess we praise the Good Samaritan because he's pretty cool. He's the hero who gets all the recognition. Everybody wants to be the hero. And Jesus is sure to say, go and do likewise. Be that hero. Jesus tells the legal expert, see this guy? Be like him. He's an example of what you should do. But Jesus also says, this hero fellow, he will not be successful all on his own. The Samaritan partners with the innkeeper, and male or female, we don't know. The story doesn't say. Gives him some money, promises to return, risks trusting that the innkeeper will know what to do to accomplish this common goal of helping another human that was found down. And how many times do we meet someone found down, broken and beaten on that road that we call life? And so in this parable, we're left to imagine the innkeeper one morning watches the hero ride away on his donkey. And the innkeeper is left the task of observing the hurt man. And he's thinking to himself, who is he? Where is he from? What business is he engaged in? What was he robbed of? What did they take from him? Does he have a family? 
Does he have kids? What faith traditions are meaningful to him? What food and drinks does he need to nourish his healing flesh? Is his bleeding slowing down? Are his thoughts hopeful? Does he even want to get better? How can he be best cared for? And I imagine the innkeeper sitting at the man's bedside, much like I sit next to hurting people every single day. And the innkeeper sees the blood and he sees the bruising, but he inevitably knows that the man is hurting in many other non-physical ways. And as his injured patient slowly recovers, the innkeeper may take the time to listen. Listen to the man tell him about his story of rage and a violation of being robbed and attacked. The innkeeper has probably had others like him in that same bed before, sharing similar struggles of injustice and heartache and loss. We know that the inn and the innkeeper were ready and waiting for all new visitors. They were prepared and expecting to receive all that would need care. Some hero at some point that was going to swing by and say, here, I found this person and I brought him to you. I've done all that I can do and now it's your turn. Take care of him. Jesus knows that there are many heroes in our world who step up and shift narratives of relational brokenness, what we call sin. There are many people who resist evil and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves. There are these people who come along with big, bold movements, writing books, starting blog posts, and sharing TED Talks, and speeding around urgently in our community saying, I'm here to help, look at me, I'm doing good work. But there are other more quiet and understated heroes who are tasked to continue this work that someone else has already started. And these quiet heroes, these innkeepers, are the ones who spend their days in the very closest connection to not only these murderers and thieves and bad guys, but also to the abused, the, the victims and the survivors, all those who were literally found on the side of the road. As a chaplain at a trauma hospital, I know that I am called to be an innkeeper, to continue the care that began with the first responder team. I am called to listen to all those who have been rejected and abandoned and neglected by the systems that have failed to sustain their peaceful ways of living. I am called to be an innkeeper for those who are involved in not only the unexpected accidents, but also the very purposeful crime incidents. I'm called to come into close connection with the physical and the psychological and the social afflictions of our community and to grieve with others as they enter a strange sense of powerlessness and often meaninglessness. I'm called to engage with some really big ideas of sin and shame and guilt and forgiveness and reconciliation 
And of course, I pray. But any good innkeeper can't only stay at the bedside praying. The innkeeper also has to maintain their own sense of wellness and the wellness of the rest of the people at the inn. So besides visiting patients and families, a big part of my innkeeping job is serving on the Equality and Diversity and Inclusion Committee. A big part of my job is facilitating and holding space for really difficult conversations in staff debriefings. A big part of my job is also speaking alongside the attendings, the other physicians, on ethics consultations. Being an innkeeper chaplain might not be as cool and flashy as being the Samaritan life flight pilot, but it is exactly the job that needs to accomplish that goal of saving and healing. And here, Jesus is letting us know that we need both the first responders and the ones who will continue the work. And so I ask you this morning, what good work are you continuing? What kind of innkeeper work is God calling you towards this season? What good work has God already started with the people around you in your community that you can now come and join and continue? What larger social movements need your voice? What community building projects in our driveway next weekend need your hands and feet to be a part of? And I wonder, how does your experience in your education, your financial location, your available time for service, how do all the particularities of you, the gifts God has given you, how does this prepare you to welcome and receive people to your own inn, your pandohean? I wonder how we can all move forward seeing how sometimes God is calling us to be the Good Samaritan, but how much more frequently God is probably calling us to be the very good innkeeper. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.